from NJ.com. This is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Greetings and welcome on in, Giants fans, to episode 151 of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Matt Lombardo, back once again, and as always, joined by my friend and colleague, Ryan Dunleavy. Not a whole lot has happened in Giants land over the last couple of weeks, and nothing's going to happen anytime soon for a team to pick 6-17. and 17. That was a uh, lame attempt at humor there, but uh, Ryan, in all seriousness, this is a franchise that could look very different a month from today than it looked a month ago, and it's already undergone some wholesale changes, especially with the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. He got traded? <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> what, what's next? Landon Collins isn't going to be back? Oh, let me and they're going to get a deal. Saquon Barkley to the Eagles for a first-round pick and a second-round pick in 2020. Uh, you know what? Let, hold on, Matt. Let's start right there. Just one minute. Uh, yeah. I saw this um, in Peter King's column, and I had a question, and I had the same thought when it happened. You used to cover the Eagles. Yep. Jordan Howard's a really, really good running back. A uh, thousand yard back, makes people ta- miss tackles. If Saquon Barkley was traded tomorrow, and let's be clear, the Giants are not trading Saquon Barkley. This is Matt and I having fun. Nobody, yeah, he's their foundational right. centerpiece. Yeah, nobody, They're building the roster nobody, around yeah, him. Nobody, the Beckham trade yeah. made that apparent. No, right. Nobody getting a car accident right now. Nobody stopped breathing. The Giants aren't trading him. But if they did, what do you think you would get? I think it would start with two first-round picks, oh, right? God. I mean, you no, would, no chance. You don't think so? You don't think you could get they no. get two first-rounders for a guy who had 2,000 total no. yards a year ago? No chance. For a running back in today's NFL, I think you'd get about what you got for Beckham. A, a first-rounder, a player, and a third-rounder. I think that's probably I think that's probably it. And I'm not even – the reason I ask is I'm not even sure you'd get a first-rounder seeing that Jordan – seeing Jordan Howard go for a sixth. And I know Barkley's much better, but seeing how running backs are treated, I'm not even sure you'd get one first-rounder. Yeah, and I think that that was kind of the reaction to a lot of people to the Beckham trade when it went down. People were shocked you didn't get the first, the two first round picks there. But but I think the that Peppers wide receiver, the first round pick, according to Dave Gettleman, yeah, he is. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's just silly. And now that we've all kind of had some time to digest and move on from that trade with Odell Beckham Jr. and you were at the owners' meetings and I was on a pro day tour with Mike Kay who covers the Eagles for us and we hit several schools up and down the East Coast. I think we both kind of got a firmer grasp of maybe where the Giants are headed and what they're thinking, uh, both in the NFL draft and in the short and long-term future. I know you were in Arizona. You had a chance to talk with both owner John Mara and Steve Tim. Uh, some interesting comments about Manning, about the upcoming draft, about the Beckham trade, uh, a little bit of everything on the smorgasbord of information out there. Yeah. So here's what I would say. I came away. So I we did interviews with Tish Mara and we had an hour breakfast with uh, Coach Shermer, even though no one ate. Um, actually, I think Jordan Renan ate, but I think no one else ate. Um, appreciate that, Jordan. And then uh, – yeah, and then I, you know, I work the room too. They, you know, I there's a opportunity there to have some casual conversations with other NFL execs or NFL analysts, you know, people around the NFL. And I came away with a couple of takeaways on the Giants' uh, quarterback situation, and I'll I'll share what I think, Matt, and you tell me what you think from you know what you've heard, reading between the lines, whatnot. I'll start with number sure. one, which was I think. The Giants, no way are they giving up one of their first-round picks for Josh Rosen, if he's even available. 
third round pick. I think anybody would listen to that. I think anybody would do that. And then the real question is second round pick number 37 Would the Cardinals take yes, it. I would, do, I would do it. I would do it in a second. And I, I think it comes down to how the rest of the league and certainly how the giants view Josh Rosen. But this is a kid who was the number 10 pick in the draft last year. Uh, you threw him behind the worst people talk about the giants offensive line, but the Arizona Cardinals are, are next level atrocious, the worst offensive line in the league and an offense uh, that was so dynamic that it managed to tick off Chris Johnson, the running back, or David Johnson, rather, Larry Fitzgerald and their star players and got Steve Wilkes fired. Uh, Ryan, I don't know about you, but if I'm Dave Gettleman, and I know that Gettleman believes that when you pick up the phone to offer the trade, all of a sudden you lose leverage. But if I'm Dave Gettleman, I pick up the phone, I offer number 37, and I'm done with it. Because at that point, I have my long-term quarterback in place, whether he plays this year or not, plays eight games this year or not, and I can invest pick six in the best defensive prospect available and pick 17 in either the best defensive or best offensive tackle available at that point. And I think that you solidify your roster tremendously, both in 2019 and beyond by making that move. I would not do it. And I said this on the last podcast. I've written it. Here's why I would not do it. The people making the decision on Josh Rosen right now are the same people making the decision on Josh Rosen last year. And if they decided Josh Rosen wasn't worth the number two pick and Dave Gettleman has already established at the NFL Combine, if it's a tie, you go quarterback. Tie goes to the runner in baseball. Tie goes to the quarterback in NFL scouting. So they obviously did not think Josh Rosen was their quarterback of the future last year. It was not at the Saquon Barkley level. So you are now going to convince yourself that he is your quarterback of the future. And if you're that he's worthy of pick 37, no, value at 37 is different than two. I, I disagree 100%. Let me explain. If it's safety, if it's wide receiver, if it's any other position on the field, I agree. The value argument makes sense. You're getting a top 10 pick at number 37. At quarterback, I disagree. It doesn't matter. I don't care about the value. It matters if you have the right quarterback. So what? What? because it's value, you're going to give him two years, and if he stinks, now you're in that five-year hellhole that Gettleman described. If he's either the right guy for you. You're really not, though, because if here's the thing. You have four more years of Josh Rosen on a rookie contract at quarterback. The, the signing bonus has already largely been paid, so you're not financially tied to him. And let's say that the Giants start out two and six, and that it's obvious that Josh Rosen needs to get on the field. You bench Eli Manning. You play him for the second half, and he stinks. Now, all of a sudden, you can go into the 2020 draft. Likely, uh, if Rosen's as terrible as you're making him out to be in this scenario, you're probably picking in the top five again in a much deeper quarterback class, and all of a sudden you have the chance to get Tua or, or, or Lawrence or one of the top quarterbacks, Herbert out of Oregon, and you would have uh, your top quarterback, Rosen on a rookie deal, and maybe Kyle Lalletta as your three-man quarterback <laughs> so, so, for the 37th pick in the draft. So your, so your scenario is that you trade the second-round pick for a guy, he's, and assuming he's – For the four, assuming he's terrible. And, and then and he's your backup. Everything goes wrong. And he's your backup. He's your backup for three years. So 
you have now if everything goes wrong. No. But Ryan, you're you're forgetting the fact that you're dropping him into an offense uh, with Barkley, with Sterling right. Shepard, with an offensive line that's improved over it was a year ago, and a better situation with an offensive-minded head coach who's known for getting the yeah. most out of quarterbacks. Look what he got out of Eli Manning a year ago. I, I think that when you look at a top ten talent. It's hard for me to judge on a, a terrible situation with a terrible head coach and no offensive line uh, to say that he's, his career is over with after a year uh, in that type I, of situation. I, I don't think his career is over with. I just think if you passed on him last year, you can't convince yourself that he's worth it this year. After a bad season, you can't convince yourself he's worth it this year. So your situation is in four straight years, take a quarterback in the third round, the fourth round, the second round, and the first round. That four straight years of a quarterback picks and go into 2020 with a first rounder, a second rounder, and a third rounder, all of listen, whom, all of whom have never had success in the NFL as your quarterback group. Listen, if I'm if I'm Dave Gettleman, I'm taking Dwayne Haskins, right? Yes. I, I think that Haskins is is behind Kyler Murray in terms of the top two quarterbacks in this class. But if a team jumps the Giants up to pick number three, uh, like the Miami Dolphins, uh, like the Oakland Raiders, uh, like the Washington Redskins, a quarterback needy team, if they today or tomorrow make that type of a move, and, and I have the opportunity to acquire. Josh Rosen for pick 37 with my absolute bare bones worst case scenario being he's my backup quarterback on a rookie deal for three years. And the best case scenario is he plays up to the level of being the number 10 pick in the draft and is a franchise quarterback for a second round pick. I'm, I'm making that move. Yeah. That, that, that's where I am because I, I see no real downside to trading away pick 37 for Josh Rosen, I, given uh, the situation with the position. Yeah, I do. I uh, To me, that's where you're getting a pass rusher or you're getting your off starting right tackle. The Giants just keep throwing away these picks that could... You can get one of them at 6 and one of them at 17. Well, you, you could you, take Ed Oliver at 6 and Cody sure. Ford at 17. And the Giants need about 11 starters, Matt. They have no free safety. They have no linebackers. They have no right tackle. They have no... They need more than one pass rusher. They, and they need a quarterback. Yeah, they need about 11 starters. So I'm done throwing away second, third, fourth round picks. I didn't believe in Rosen last year. I, I, if I'm saying it them. I personally believe in Josh Rosen, but I'm putting myself in Dave Gettleman, Kevin Abrams, Pat Shermer, uh, Chris Pettit, all the decision makers in that room. I, if they didn't believe in Rosen last year, you, I, you can't sell me on him this year. Yep, I just think it's a little bit different when you're taking a quarterback or any player at number two. And listen, I, you know how I feel about Saquon Barkley. And, I, and yep. you know, I think that my thoughts on Barkley are pretty much in line with where the Giants organization is. Uh, if they graded Barkley and it wasn't a tie, you know, 25 points higher than Josh Rosen, but had they been picking pick number four or pick number seven last year and they would feel comfortable taking Rosen at that spot, I don't know then – why they would feel so uncomfortable taking Rosen no. at number 37. That's fair, If but you don't know that, and neither do I. No one does. You know, No one knows where he was on their board. If they would have if they would have taken him at four or at seven, then, yeah, make that trade for 37. My gut says they did not like him. He was, uh, they, you know, he was behind, you know, they didn't pick Darnold, they didn't pick Rosen, they didn't pick Allen. The rumors are that they liked Allen the best, Uh you didn't pick him, so I. To me, I guess if I guess if he was a top ten player on your board last year, you could convince me to trade thirty seven. If he was not, uh, if he was not in that conversation, 
then you can't convince me to do it. Yep. So beyond the Josh Rosen trade at the coach's breakfast, what else were some of your big picture takeaways that, from, from the owners meeting? That they're really into Dwayne Haskins. That it, that you know, I agree. It's not a smokescreen. It's not. Um, look, do I know if they'll take him? No, but I don't. I don't. I think they're doing more than due diligence. I think they are interested in him. I don't know if it's a slam dunk, but I don't think this is just a reaction to the ESPN report that they're not interested in him. Oh, okay, let's go make it look like we are interested in him. I think there's genuine interest there. If anything, I think the ESPN report, and and I think very highly of Diana Rossini as a reporter, and and of course ESPN as an outlet, uh, I I think that somebody fed her that information as a smokescreen. And I I think that when you look at everything the Giants have done, uh, the influential traveling party to the Ohio State Pro Day that included Pat Shermer, and I believe Kevin Abrams and Chris Mara, uh, Mike Shula was there as well. The fact that they took him out to dinner and, you know, met with him at the Pro Day, uh, they're bringing all the quarterbacks into East Rutherford for individual top 30 workouts. At least that appears to be the plan. Uh, Ryan, I think that the report that the Giants have no interest, especially coming out in the middle of February, uh, excuse me, in the middle of March, it screams smokescreen season. And I think that the Giants are acting like a team that at that point was trying to convince everyone else, hey, there's no need to trade up with the Jets. There's no need to jump up to pick four or pick five because we're going to let him slide on by. You can get Haskins uh, beyond us at pick number six. But I think the reality is that they view Dwayne Haskins as the number one or number two quarterback in this class. Yeah, I think they're probably, he's probably their number one quarterback. Um, don't, uh, I, here's another one. Here's another one of my takeaways from that event. I think there's a real chance they kick the curb, is kick the can down the road. I think there's a real chance that Haskins is not their pick, you know, whether he's gone already or whether they don't pick him at six. And then at 17, if Daniel Jones and Drew Locke are off the board, they just take another defensive guy. They take an offensive tackle in the second round, and the quarterback room looks exactly the same. Manning, Tanny, Laletta. Uh, I think there's a real chance that happens. Which would be interesting to me because that screams that you're in denial of the fact that you have a quarterback problem. And I wrote about this Sunday morning um, when it was suggested that the Giants could bring Eli Manning back even on an extension. I just can't comprehend in what world it makes an iota of sense to bring Eli Manning back without a young quarterback on the roster because you're starting to waste the prime of Saquon Barkley. You're, you're kicking the can down the road um, to, to be com- being competitive again because as we saw a year ago, Eli Manning, even down the stretch when he played his best football, uh, turned the football over against Indianapolis on the final drive. Even Eli Manning playing some of his best football couldn't get it done against a hodgepodge lineup of the Dallas Cowboys that played some starters and some backups in Week 17. And and yes, I look at the 66% completion percentage and I look at the stats, but let's also look at the fact that your running back was targeted over 104 times in the passing game. So when you're taking high percentage passes, it's going to produce an uptick in your completion percentage. But to me, what you're able to do in the clutch moments, and to Eli Manning's credit, he had one on the road against San Francisco, but that defines what you are as a quarterback in today's NFL. And by not having that young player on the roster behind him, ready to take the reins at the latest week one of 2020, it screams to me that you're in denial of having a quarterback problem. And it screams to me that you are doing your entire roster, especially the young players on it a disservice 
in terms of when you're trying to compete. I mean, I definitely think they're in denial. I mean, Dave Gettleman called said Eli had a heck of a year last year and called the narrative that he's declining a crock. I mean, that's I mean, they, they, they aren't even denying that they're in denial. Like they, they are in denial. Um, here's another takeaway I had. Um, John Mara was furious. I, so here's uh, – let me paint a picture for you guys. I, there was a, we were in a conference room at the owners' meetings at the Biltmore in Arizona, really nice hotels. NJ, NJ.com did not pay for me to stay there. Um, we, they paid for me to stay somewhere else that was equally nice. Um, and we are in this conference room, and – it's 10 reporters, John Mara, Steve Tisch, and Giants PR. And the first six questions or so are about Odell Beckham. And John Mara says, you can't let sentimentality decide these decisions. He liked Odell Beckham, but can't be sentimental. And I, and I, I, I was foaming at the mouth to say, John, there's a perception out there that that's exactly what you're doing with Eli Manning. And John Mara was as mad as I've ever seen the man. And even before I covered them, I watched him. You know, I've watched press conferences. It reminded me maybe of 2017 with the botched Manning benching, how mad he was then. Um, he was fidgeting with his hands. His face flushed. His, uh, he, his voice raised, and he said – that he, it gets under his skin to read that, that it couldn't be further from the truth. Keeping Eli Manning is a football decision. It's not about sentimentality. Our sports editor, Kevin Manahan, is a former Giants beat writer. Uh, he did an interview with John Mara in 2000 that he dug up for me where he Mara said, actually, he'd never let sentimentality ruin, uh, govern the Giants again. It was a mistake his father made uh, during the dark days of the 60s and 70s, and he didn't want to go through that again. So he was not going to let sentimentality rule the day. And I thought it was fascinating because it's exactly what you and I have accused him of, what fans accuse him of, what other media accuse him of. And he's going to have to pay the piper if Eli Manning has a terrible year in 2019 or not even Eli Manning. If the Giants have another four win season in 2019 and Eli wants to play again in 2020, John Mayer is going to have a heck of a decision to make. And that's why I don't think that you can bring him back without having a young player, whether it's a rookie or Josh Rosen on the roster. Because so if, if, hold on one sec, hey, we'll get back to that in a sec, Matt. Because we'll get back because that that takes me to my next takeaway. So you're done with Kyle Laletta. I mean, no one even mentions Kyle. You keep saying without having a young player on the roster, Kyle Laletta is a second year player. He was the Rosen. I get that, but Rosen I, I, was I, I don't know that I'm done with Kyle Laletta. But I think the coaching staff and the Giants' actions a year ago. Only playing him for five series, five plays in mop-up duty in Washington uh, when, when they were already long eliminated from playoff contention and not playing him in Week 17 against the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not saying I'm done with Kyle Laletta, and I think that he can go on to be um, a, a, a career backup spot starter in the NFL. But I think the Giants, by their actions last year, have shown you that he has no future as their starting quarterback. I agree completely. I, I, I don't. I again, I don't necessarily think his career is over. I would not toss him aside. The Giants don't even mention him. You bring up Kyle, and it's like, oh yeah, Kyle. Like there is no conversation. They never say, oh, we have a young quarterback. It's all about drafting for the future or whatever. No one ever mentions like, oh, but we do have Kyle Aletta. That's a such an afterthought 
he's not even in the thought process when you ask about them. If that's a smokescreen, that is the all-time number one ultimate smokescreen because it's almost like you have to remind them they have him, not the other way around. Well, again, and we just go back to what, what happened a year ago. They were eliminated for po- from postseason contention against uh, the Indianapolis Colts. They were eliminated from postseason contention against the Dallas Cowboys. He didn't take a single, a single snap in either one of those games. Um, his only game action was uh, uh, he blocked. In, in pullout. No, he blocked. Remember, he had that one play where he was like a blocking wide receiver against the Cowboys. So random. Don't forget that. He took, oh, yeah, he they took one snap, the, 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 the Taysom Hill role, right? Yeah. The, the Giants version of Taysom Hill. Yeah. Uh, but but if, if you let his entire rookie season, when your season was virtually over after week 12, yeah. and you didn't get him game reps, and you didn't get him first-team practice reps, Ryan, he didn't take a single snap all year running the Giants' offense with the Giants' offensive players he ran scout team for 17 weeks so if if you are not done with Kyle Loretta and you believe that he's a young player that can develop then shame on you you wasted an entire season's worth of potential resources trying to develop him so uh, again Matt, after seeing the last staff do the same thing to Davis Webb after that they, they made the same mistake yeah yeah but again uh, we we can debate Davis Webb versus Kyle Oletta till we're blue in the face. I think their careers have similar trajectories in front of them at this point. Yeah. Uh, but you, but, you did but the same the thing, though. You you saw it. You criticized the last half for it. And then you did the yeah. same thing. Right. 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 So he's not so, in the so picture. That, he's out. He's, he's out. He's not, he's not your developmental long-term quarterback of the future. At least that's not how they've acted um, since they kept him on the roster following training camp last year. Yeah. Uh, but but I, I think it's difficult not to um, criticize John Mara for acting with sentimentality in terms of bringing Eli Manning back. Again, I look at the numbers and, and I look at the stats and I look at the completion percentage and, and they're all nice. And I think that in a lot of ways, they're a product of the Pat Shermer system, but you and I know, and I think that any f- intelligent fan, any honest fan with a set of eyeballs who watched last year knows that that offense could have functioned at a much higher level. How many times did we see Eli not audible out to a, a throw to a wide open Odell Beckham Jr. on a two-point conversion against Dallas? How many times did he throw to the wrong target in Atlanta down near the goal line? How many times did he hold on to the ball too long and take a sack when there were open receivers downfield? How many times did he throw the ball away when you had Sterling Shepard streaking deep over the middle. It, it, again, you can do that with any quarterback, and I understand that, but I think that the good moments for Eli Manning were fewer and far between than the moments where he could take over and win a game for you, and, and the recent past since 2011 bears that out. Yeah, I'm going to change my mind on this. I'm going to I'm gonna say I don't think John Mara is being sentimental. Reading the quotes from 20 years ago, read here being in the room with him in Arizona, I'm going to say I don't think it's sentimental. I'm going to say that Gettleman and Shermer are pushing this and John Mara certainly isn't going to disagree. He want he loves Eli Manning, but he is not putting his fist down and saying Eli Manning is the Giants quarterback. You guys deal with it. I think Gettleman and Shermer are running the show like they should, like an owner should stay out of the way. Uh, I I don't think it's John Mara dictating this like I might have thought maybe a month ago. Uh, I don't think that. I don't think he's running the Giants with sentimentality. I think Shermer and Gettleman are making that call, and it certainly appeases what Mara wants, so he's not going to object to it. But I don't think if they had came to him and said – 
Eli's got to go, I don't think John Mara would have said, no, Eli's got to stay. Yeah, I, I again, I, I guess that when I look at this, I'm looking at the ends, not necessarily what led to that point. I, I don't know that John Mara uh, walks into Dave Gettleman's office and says that Eli Manning has to come back. Um, but, but to enable that to happen, to not act in the best interest of the franchise, to get a highly talented but I young think they, they think they are acting in the best interest of the franchise. The problem, here's what people don't understand. And you That's what I, I think that they are getting either bad advice yeah. or there's bad scouting at the quarterback Correct. position going on. Yes, that I agree. Here, that it's the same thing with the plan, and maybe we should touch on the plan for a minute. Uh, people are like, "Oh, the Giants have no plan." No, the Giants have a plan. You just hate it. Like that's the problem. You know, the Giants have no plan. No, the Giants have made it very clear what their plan is. It's just people who think they don't have a plan don't like the plan or don't agree with the plan or don't see don't want to listen to what they're being told. But the Giants have told you their plan is to win and rebuild at the same time. If you Which think, are two mutually exclusive ideas in the NFL, by the, the way. Sure. Me, but that's their find, plan. Find me a team that's been able to accomplish that. But that's again, but that's their plan. That that whether whether you agree with it or disagree with it, that's their plan. So that's and it goes back to what you just said about uh the quarterback situation. They are not Try. I, I don't think that they're trying to not act in the best interest of the fran- franchise. They believe keeping Eli Manning is the best interest of the franchise. People like you or fans or even me or other media disagree with them. We think that's wrong, but they're not purposely sabotaging. They're, they believe Eli Manning is the best interest. You and I and other critics do not. They make the decisions. We criticize them, but we. it's not like we're – it's not like we don't understand it. We just disagree with it. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Um, and I think that when you look at them, again, the plan, and I wrote about this about a week and a half ago, they have among the most cap space in the NFL in 2020. They have 12 draft picks in the upcoming NFL draft, and I'm sure that that gives them the flexibility if they wanted to to go all the way up to number two and get Dwayne Haskins, or they could sit at 6-17, and t- 17, get a quarterback and the best position player available in some combination there, trade for Josh Rosen and take two of the top 20 players in this draft that's loaded with defensive and offensive line prospects. They can go in any number of directions. But I'll go back to this. And, and Ryan, I know that you and Steve Politti did a great podcast breaking down the Odell Beckham trade and the, uh, the, the Gettleman plan. But I have a hard time reconciling, A, this idea of trying to compete and rebuild at the same time in today's NFL. I don't think that's feasible. Yeah, and number I, two, I, I don't know. And, and again, I go back to I believe Saquon Barkley has a legitimate chance to be a Hall of Famer and uh, go down in terms of his career uh, doing some very special things in the NFL. But with that said, how many times leading up to last year's draft did I pound the table and say, if you want to draft your next quarterback in 2019, and you're not sold on Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen or Josh Allen, then you take the best player, and that's Saquon Barkley, and you put him in an offense with Beckham and Ingram and Shepard, and you have another year of building out and fortifying your offensive line and dropping a young quarterback into an electrifying and potentially very productive offense. But if you're going to trade away Odell Beckham Jr., <laughs> why did you take Saquon Barkley? Yeah. To me, there's a, there's a philosophical push and pull going on within the Giants front office that, again, I see the plan, I see the vision, and there are elements of that that make sense with the target being competing again in 2021. 
but I don't know how you get there when you keep shuffling and reshuffling the deck in terms of your ideas of what it takes to be competitive. And that's why you have the most dead money in the NFL. Yeah. It's really that simple. Yeah, one and, step and I don't know how much care about dead money. I think that they care about the real dollars within contracts and, and, and those sort of things. But, but when you have that much dead money, you can't get Zadarius Smith to help you compete now, right. or you can't get uh, Tyron Matthew to help you compete comp- Pete now because you decided to get Olivier Vernon and then gave him all the and then now have all this dead money. So, yeah, I mean, it's not money out of pocket isn't dead money, but it's money that keeps you from winning now because you can't get good players because you have dead money. Right. And that's where I think it's going to be a struggle for this team in the next couple of years. One step left, one step right and up in the middle. So and that's exactly where the Giants are. And uh, Ryan, what you were. Uh, gallivanting through the desert with uh, all the other NJ Advanced Media reporters, our great colleagues, uh, Matt Stipulkowski and Zach Rosenblatt. Uh, Mike Kay and I, we were on a pro day tour. We hit several schools up and down the East Coast. We went uh, to Temple, Villanova, Penn State, Maryland. Uh, Mike hit up Monmouth. Um, we saw several top prospects, not necessarily top prospects, but several uh, prospects along the way, and the Giants were re- well represented. Uh, the, Everett Withers, the new defensive backs coach, was at the University of Delaware and at Temple. Uh, Hal Hunter put a couple of Penn State offensive linemen through the workouts and ran the position drills. And in Maryland, Bill McGovern, the linebacker coach, uh, was enamored by Trey Watson, put him through the on-field drills. Uh, he, he's an a inside linebacker, can play a little bit of outside, uh, put him through the drills, took him to dinner the night before Maryland's pro day met with them again afterwards. Uh, He's a guy that I think the Giants could have some interest in in the middle rounds. But it's interesting when you go to these different schools and see the scouts in attendance and some of the position coaches come out, you can kind of start to get a feel for at least in the middle rounds with these schools that we were able to attend some guys that might be on the Giants radar. Yeah, give me uh, you, you name drop some guys there. Give me some guys who flashed to you. Add uh, you mentioned Watson. I saw you wrote something good about him in a top thirty visit for the Giants. Yep. Uh, give me some other guys who, whether they had a visit or not, some names of some guys who flashed to you at these pro days. Yeah, I, I look at Trey Watson. He's going to come in on a top thirty, as I reported, and you just mentioned Ryan. He'll he'll be in town uh, to visit the Giants. I, I think he's a legitimate fourth round, fifth round value guy who can immediately contribute quality snaps. I look at Rob Roll as a late round defensive back prospect, physical guy. Where's he from? Leader. Uh, out of Villanova, he plays safety. Um, and, and then I look at um, a, a couple of Penn State kids in my seven-round mock draft that hit on Monday. Amani Awarie, the cornerback, one of the rangier cornerbacks, physical guy in this year's class. Uh, he's a guy that I think could fit as um, a, a starter opposite of Janoris Jenkins and compete with Sam Beal and provide some quality depth at a position where the Giants really don't have a lot of. He's somebody that I would keep an eye on in round two or three. And and I look at, at Temple, if you want to look at another late round uh, value play, Michael Dogby, who is a workout warrior. He dominated, put up 28 reps on the bench press during their pro day, uh, showed some elite bend at the program's uh, workouts that a couple of assistant coaches told me he's been working on and working on expanding his pass rushing abilities. He would be a defensive end that if you can take a flyer on in round six or seven, uh, he might be somebody that, that can um, 
you know, be a decent player for you and a decent rotational pass rusher. So those are some of the guys that, that, that jumped out at me. Uh, like I said, Hal Hunter was at a couple of different spots. Everett Withers worked out. Rocky Asin, the cornerback from Temple, he was on hand for Nasir Adderley's pro day at Delaware, but Adderley pulled his hamstring during the 40-yard dash and couldn't go through the on-field drills. Um, a, a bunch of guys who could go anywhere from round two to round six. Uh, I was at Rutgers Pro Day uh, before I went to Arizona, so I'll give you this. Uh, there were two guys. Rutgers has two defensive backs who will probably get drafted, Saquon Hampton and Bless Austin. Uh, Saquon Hampton's a three-year starter at safety. Coach Chris Ash, I don't think it's a secret to anybody here. I covered Rutgers for a, a lot of years, seven years or so before covering the Giants. Uh, Chris Ash is high on Saquon Hampton has been since he arrived on campus from Ohio State. Chris Ash coached Eli Apple and Von Bell and uh, Marcus Lattimore and all those great Ohio State defensive backs from four years ago. Uh, he coached all those guys. He loves Saquon Hampton. He loved Bless Austin, who's a cornerback who was trending towards a second-round pick a couple years ago and then lost his last two seasons due to back-to-back ACL injuries. So a big medical question with him. Uh, if he's healthy, if he checks out, he's probably a day two pick. The injuries might pump bump him down to day three. Um, but I've heard from a couple different places the Giants have interest in Saquon Hampton, the safety, uh, good run stopper, can play the good ball skills. He could be an interesting, you know, middle of day three, round five, four or five kind of pick. Uh, and Henry Baker, the assistant coach for the Giants, assistant defensive backs coach, who has had two tours of uh, coaching staff at Rutgers. Uh, he was at Giants Pro Day along with Kevin Dockery, who's a former Giants defensive back, now works for the franchise. He was at Rutgers Pro Day as well. So they sent two defensive back-minded guys to Rutgers Pro Day along with their scouts, and Rutgers has two defensive back guys. Rob Martin's on the Giants. Uh, so maybe they bring in another ex uh, Rutgers player. Pat Shermer's uh, doing a uh, coaching clinic for the Giants this week. So it certainly appears like there might be some Rutgers Giants ties there going on. Yep, and and uh, that's right in their backyard, so they should be as familiar with the Rutgers talent as anybody. Um, and, and I think it is – I mean, whether you want to talk about the big school pro days with the top tier quarterbacks where you see Pat Shermer going and scouting Dwayne Haskins or you see uh, the whole contingent and and the meeting with Kyler Murray following his pro days or Mike Shula going and checking out Drew Locke and Will Greer with Pat Shermer in attendance. It's interesting to see the coaches and the position coaches that show up at these pro day workouts as maybe a tip of the hand to just how serious they're taking. Um, some of these prospects and their workouts. And then, uh, so let's move on to some questions. I put out a tweet uh, just before we started recording about uh, asking for some fan questions. Matt, I think we'll answer this one, not just every podcast, but probably every article we write uh, for the next four weeks. Right now, today, who are, who are you have the Giants taken at 6 and 17? I think you did a mock draft today. I did. I did. I have a seven-round mock draft that just hit today. At number six, I have the Giants taking Haskins. And at number 17, I, and I don't love this pick, but I think that if you want to round out your offensive line and he's on the board at 17, I think there's good value there. I have them taking Oklahoma tackle slash guard Cody Ford. So Haskins at six, 
Cody Ford at 17 for me. For me right now today, I would give the Giants Devin White, the linebacker. Uh, they haven't picked a linebacker in the first round since 1984. So how are they picking one at six? I just think he's going to be the best player available. I believe Dave Gettleman that that's going to be the strategy at number six. I think best player available is what they're going to do. And for me, that means Queen and Williams is off the board. Josh Allen's off the board. Nick Bosa's off. Nick Bosa's off the board. Um, Kyler Murray's off the board and who, who am I missing? Uh, Haskins, the two quarterbacks, Haskins, Bosa and, uh, Allen and Williams. And Allen. And, and yep. Williams. Yeah. So that gives me Devin white at, uh, six. And then at 17, I've been writing it all week. I keep hearing it. I've written the plus side of him from Charlie Casterly. I've written the downsides of him from Chris Sims and Dan Orlovsky, two NFL quarterbacks who now study the position for their respective, uh, media organizations. I think it's Dave, uh, it's, uh, David Jones, the, uh, Thank you. You keep wanting to call him David Brown right there. Yeah, I did. A lot of fans have uh, made that obvious comparison. Yeah, yeah. no, I think it's Daniel Jones, the Duke quarterback at 17. And I'll say this about Daniel Jones. I watched his pro day on NFL Network last week. And again, it's a workout in shorts and a T-shirt, throws against air. But I was impressed by the arm strength from Daniel Jones that didn't necessarily jump out during his college film. I thought he stretched the field nicely in that workout, made all the throws on the route tree. And I thought going back to Indianapolis, sitting in Lucas Oil Stadium and watching the quarterbacks throw, I thought he helped himself more than Dwayne Haskins. I thought he helped himself more than Drew Locke, more than Will Greer. So the hype train around Daniel Jones, I think, is real both inside league circles and casual observers. Um, it, it would not shock me if he's the pick at 17, if they went quarterback, uh, non-quarterback rather, at number six. Um, and, and I think that he's a guy that when we get to April might be the quarterback prospect outside of Haskins and Murray that's going to be generating the most buzz. I'll say this. I talked to Casterly, the former Redskins general manager, and I said, what – about the Cutcliffe factor. David Cutcliffe, the Duke coach, is former Peyton Manning's former co- quarterbacks coach in college at Tennessee. He's close with Eli Manning, who works out at Duke in the offseason sometimes. I said, what about that factor? Is, is Daniel Jones getting a boost just because he's Cutcliffe? If he was the same player on Arizona or on you know, Appalachian State, would he be looked at the same or is he getting this artificial boost because he's tied to Cutcliffe and the Mannings and Casserly scoffed? Like, how could anybody do that? You evaluate the player totally by himself. That would be ridiculous nuts to do. And I said, OK. And then I talked to Chris Sims and he said every time somebody talks to him about uh, Daniel Jones, they bring up David Cutcliffe and that's an issue. And I said, well, I didn't even get to ask you that question, but that's exactly my question. That's exactly the fear I would have. And Sim said that's exactly the fear he has because everybody, they're, they're intertwined. And if, how much better is he going to get? The, you can make a case David Cutcliffe coaches the quarterback position better than most coaches in the NFL. So if he's going to get worse coaching, is he going to get better? I don't know. That, it's scared. The, the whole thing scares me. I, I'd have to look into it. I don't know the answer. I'm going to ask a rhetorical question I don't know the answer to. So I guess that makes it a non-rhetorical question. Um, 
Is there a good cut? Is there a good David Cutcliffe pro quarterback whose name isn't Manning? Is there? I don't know. I have no idea. Has he ever produced one who's been really good whose name isn't Manning? I don't know, but uh, that would scare them. The the fact the Manning Cutcliffe artificial boost on Jones scares the heck out of me. Yeah, and I think that it's it's real for the Giants. I think that when you look at you know how they view uh, you know the Manning family, and obviously Eli Manning and David Cutcliffe, they hold them in high regard. I mean, Thad Lewis, not necessarily a guy who jumps off the page. Heath Schuler, you know, was a starting quarterback in the league for a number of years. I wouldn't say that he was all that accomplished. Thad Lewis, in and out of the league with a cup of coffee. Oh. Uh, Sean Renfrey, basically a couple of year backup in the NFL and, and Peyton and Eli Manning. So yeah, yeah, Peyton Manning, who's a Hall of Famer, Eli Manning, um, who knows what the future holds in terms of Canton for him, but it's a mixed bag to yeah. say the least. And I think that the Giants uh, would be doing themselves a tremendous disservice if, if they are not doing their due diligence on their own on these quarterbacks. And then one more fan question. Uh, it always starts to me in the trenches. What are your thoughts on the Giants O-line and defensive line and where do they need to get better? I'll go first, then you follow up. Uh, to me, I think I like the offensive. I like four pieces of the offensive line. I think that it should be better than the offensive line that both started last year and the one that ended last year, assuming you come away from the draft with a starting right tackle in your first three picks. Uh, whether it's six, Jawan Taylor, that seems a little high. Uh, whether it's 17, I like Cody Ford. I don't know if he'll be there at 17. Uh, whether it's Heisman out of Kansas State, I think is a guy that could be a pick at 17. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy from West Virginia who might go th- in the 37 range. Uh, Yaldney, I think is his name. Yeah, so maybe maybe he slips to 37. If you come away from one of those three picks with a starting right tackle who can, who can play, not an Eric Flowers clone, a right tackle who can play, then I think you have a really good starting line, the best Manning has had since his Super Bowl days. And defensive line, I'm going to assume you mean front seven because in a 3-4 defense, the pass rush comes from the outside linebacker. So I'm assuming by D-line you mean front seven. Uh, and I think they are two or three pieces away on the defensive line. Right now, the fr- the actual hand-in-the-ground three front guys are B.J. Hill, Dalvin Tomlinson, and I don't know, <laughs> uh, Marcus Golden, I guess, maybe, right? Or yeah. or um, or R.J. McIntosh. I think you need another guy there. And then your outside linebackers are Kareem Martin, Lorenzo Carter. Uh, you, those are good guys in a rotation. I'd probably add two more guys to that rotation. I think the Giants are probably two pieces away in the front seven and a starting right tackle away. I'll say this, that if they come away with a competent right tackle in the draft, any of the names that we mentioned, I think you're looking at the floor of this offensive line being a top 15 line in the league. I I think they have the chance to be that good, especially when you see uh, the improvements of Will Hernandez as his rookie year went along. This will be his second year in an NFL system and and, uh, strength and conditioning program. I thought Nate Solder improved as the year went along last year. Uh, I I think that Zeitler is a 
tremendous upgrade over Jamone Brown and whoever else, you know, you want to talk about Patrick Omame and everybody else who played right guard for them a year ago. If you can get a competent right tackle, I think that they can be a top 15 line. Defense, front seven, I think they're further away. Um, and that's where when you look at the number six pick, if you're not taking a quarterback, I think Ed Oliver needs to be at the top of your board because he's so versatile. He can put his hand on the dirt and get after the quarterback. He can compete in a 4-3 or a 3-4. He can stand up and be an edge rusher in a 3-4 outside linebacker spot. He ran the 40 in, in a blazing time during his pro day workout. Um, he's a guy that if he's there at number six, would be tough for me to pass up. Rashawn Gary is another guy that would be tough for me to pass up at six if I'm not enamored with Dwayne Haskins. Um, you would uh, t- you take both those guys? over Devin White? I would. I, I think that those two, I have them a little bit higher than Devin White. Not that there's anything wrong with White. I think he steps in and starts for you and is a three-down linebacker immediately. I, I just look at, at Oliver and I see a poor man's Aaron Donald. And if you have the chance to add that type of a player to your front seven for a team that only generated 30 sacks last year, I think you have to jump at the opportunity to do it. God, I'd take a broke man's Aaron Donald. Bring it poor man. Jesus, Aaron Donald. It's crazy when you think about it. Odell Beckham and Aaron Donald were like the 13th and 14th or 12th and 13th picks respectively in the 2014 draft. Yeah, crazy to think about it. And, and uh, um, you know. Gives you hope for 17. What's that? Gives you hope for pick 17 if those guys go 12 and 13. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Brian Gallagher checks in. He says, not a question, but a statement. Please know Eli Manning in 2020 <laughs> put this in the podcast, too. Uh, Brian, uh, you know, I think that Ryan and I both co-sign on 2020 being a non-Eli Manning year. Correct. I know that the Giants necessarily co-sign on that thought process. But you're going to find out. Uh, the weekend of April 25th and 26th, just where they feel they are with Eli Manning's future. Because, again, they they are adamant about the next quarterback learning from Eli Manning. So if he's not drafted this year, you got to bring Eli Manning back on a one-year contract to teach the guy next year, right? You got to teach him back. And again, I hate to continue to pile on the Giants and their thinking when it comes to quarterback. Uh, you and I have been around Eli Manning this past year. I've had extensive conversations with Kyle Halvetta, as I know you have. I, I don't get the sense – For all of Eli Manning's great attributes as a leader in the locker room, as a pillar of the community, as the face of the New York football giants, as the guy that won two Super Bowl MVPs, for all of those great attributes, I don't get the sense that he's a guy that's going to be the good foot soldier and the good mentor to his replacement. I don't know that whatever ego he has allows him to fully embrace that role. And I think that if the Giants are banking on this being a synergistic, you know, coming of coming together of a young quarterback and a veteran, I, I just don't know, Ryan, if that upside is there. And I think you're looking at a much similar um, comparison to the Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers mm model of things than maybe some of the other young quarterbacks. And again, I don't even know that that's a criticism of Eli Manning because Ben Roethlisberger has gone on record and said that he doesn't think it's his job to mentor the next guy. And they might be right about that. But for the Giants to put out there publicly and I'm sure privately that they believe that the next quarterback should learn from Eli Manning, I I don't know how much upside there is to that philosophy. I'll say this, and it's probably a good place for us to pick up our next episode, but I'll say this in closing. I don't know that it's I, – I would agree with Roethlisberger or what we're presuming Manning would think 
that it's not his job to teach the guy. But I do think it's the other guys, and I, this is a little bit of Davis. what Davis Webb did. It's on the young guy to learn from the old guy, not on the old guy. Like, no one's asked, no one expects, nor should he be, Eli Manning beat Josh McCown for, for Sam Darnold. Jo- Josh McCown got paid $10 million last year, basically, to teach Sam Darnold. Yep. Correct. And that's not what Eli Eli, Eli Manning is going to get paid twenty three million dollars or seventeen is or seventeen million dollars because he's already got the other six. Um, he's not to, going to be Chase Daniel to Carson Wentz. He and is, he, yeah, he is going. He is being paid to be the starting quarterback, and it is on Davis Webb or Kyle Laletta or Dwayne Haskins or Josh Rosen to le- to learn through osmosis to study Eli Manning to stalk him basically to be an Eli Manning stalker, not for Eli Manning to teach. For the student to learn without the teacher teaching so much that and I yeah I don't think that Eli Manning's dying to share all his secrets either but I think if you are around him and just ca- mimic his every move I think you're learning he's not gonna he's not gonna hide it from you he's not gonna play secrets he's not gonna sabotage you but he's gonna do what he does and it's up to you to mimic him you know kind of like the uh, little brother older brother situation your older brother doesn't want to you know. Uh, tell you how to be cool or tell you how to, you know, whatever, tell you how to, he doesn't want, he's not going to teach you all his secrets, but if you've watched your older brother long enough, you pick some things up. Yep. And I think that's a good spot to end this podcast. And I'm sure we'll be talking about the quarterback situation for the Giants leading up to and beyond the NFL draft, whether they take a quarterback or not. We will be with you each and every Monday from here on out, uh, previewing the draft, recapping any big moves that happen, uh, because we're going to start to hear things through the grapevine, through sources around the league, through team sources about what the Giants might have planned for pick six and 17 for their other 10 draft picks. Would there be more trades on the horizon? and will they move up. Uh, so you make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Uh, the talk is cheap on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spreaker. Toss us a like on YouTube and be sure to follow us on Twitter at RYDunLevy and at Matt Lombardo NFL. Ryan, it was fun to get back in the swing of things with this. And I think that, uh, you know, we've learned a lot about the Giants over the last three weeks. Yeah, we certainly have. We're going to learn a lot more about them in the next three weeks. No doubt about it. So this has been the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. We will talk to you next Monday right here on Talk is Cheap.